The Start On Demand. On demand. The eyes of the world have turned to Ukraine as Russia has invaded that country and launched a series of devastating attacks. We spoke to several people on that today, including a reporter in a bomb shelter. We spoke to the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress and the Canadian Global Affairs Institute about what should Canada do. The Prime Minister has revoked the Emergencies Act, and today we learned of new polling that shows just how Canadians feel about the protests and the response. Sidewalk snow clearance remains a pain for a lot of Winnipeggers. So we talked about that and we had a little bit of fun discussing snow clearing mishaps. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, February 24th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And tough start to this Thursday as Russian troops, Loren, have launched a broad assault on uh, Ukraine from three sides. Yeah, I was watching last night just before I went to bed, and then I couldn't go to bed because it was all sort of unfolding in front of me, and and reporters were standing there explaining the sounds they were hearing, the missile strikes that were happening uh, outside of Kiev and other cities. There was Vladimir Putin, Russian president, going on air talking about how the West should not intervene to stay out. All sorts of different sounds, air raid sirens going off right now as we speak as this attack was launched just before dawn Ukraine time, but uh, continuing on and off throughout the day over there. And in so many ways, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the culmination of what we've been talking about for weeks, that you saw this coming, we could see it coming, and yet when it's happening in front of you, Greg, it's hard to fathom because what's the end goal here? Where does this go? How many people uh, could be hurt, will be fleeing, will die as a result of this? And, and what does he want? Putin insists he's not trying to take over Ukraine, and yet these military strikes weren't just being done in the eastern part of Ukraine, which uh, he's been targeting, but in another situations as well and so it's deeply concerning for anyone watching and particularly those who might have loved ones over there yeah we know the strong connections between that part of the world and manitoba so you know my heart uh, goes out to anyone worried about loved ones family members friends in that in in ukraine uh this morning i was on the uh, google maps this morning on my phone and and you can actually see the, the traffic situation in Kiev, as there have been reports of, of a long uh, stretch of traffic, people trying to flee that city. It's the seventh largest city in Europe, almost 3 million people. So it's a big city, Kiev. And so I've also seen on social media uh, videos of, of sirens, uh, you know, those air raid sirens. We know what they sound like. Gosh, we've never really heard them in person as although some of some of you some of our listeners have and so this is going to be difficult for a lot of uh, folks in the in in Manitoba in Winnipeg in Canada who have lived this who have seen this in other parts of the world and my heart is just breaking for for everyday citizens who are wondering what to do do I stay do I leave what do I do with my family it, it has to be just absolutely gut-wrenching and then you see Vladimir Putin's comments this morning as he addressed uh, Russia addressed his country and 
Politico translated his entire speech and the most ominous part of his statement this morning is this. Uh, once again, this is translated from Russian to English by Politico. To anyone who would consider interfering from outside, if you do, you will face consequences greater than any you have faced in history. All the relevant decisions have been taken. I hope you hear me. Very, yeah, very it was difficult. It was powerful. pretty stark. Yes. It, uh, listening to that last night and then and, and hearing what the translator was saying, he's basically saying, stay out, this, stay out of this, stay out of our way, which we know is not going to happen. We'll have more in our next segment in terms of the response from both Canada and the U.S., Brett, more on what analysts are saying and where, on where this can go. And, of course, after 7, we're going to reach out to a reporter in Ukraine, someone who works for a radio station over there, about what they're seeing, feeling, and thinking as they watch this go around them in Kyiv. Much to discuss this morning, and we will uh, let you know of any developments that occur. Also, today we are going to discuss Greg Mackling, uh, what I think caught some people off guard yesterday from the Prime Minister, uh, revoking the Emergencies Act. Yeah, this, uh, I think it sort of came out of nowhere. It was probably one of the last things we were expecting to hear yesterday. It's, of course, of elicited all sorts of reaction, everything from why did you do it in the first place to, oh, the Prime Minister is listening and everything in between. So lots of ways to view that. And also we have some new data with regards to how Canadians are feeling about how things went and how things have gone down over the last couple of weeks uh, since February 14th and the declaration of this emergency measure by the federal government uh, up until yesterday. So we will uh, delve into into that data and, and find out how Canadians are feeling because it feels as though some of the very same people who don't agree with the implementation of the Emergencies, uh, emergencies Act rather also feel that the Prime Minister maybe had no other choice. At least that's my interpretation of the data that I have seen. So we'll we'll have that conversation with those who who gathered and processed it. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up after Global News. At 7 o'clock, we are hoping to connect with a reporter in Ukraine, uh, which is under attack from Russia. In our next segment, we have the sounds of the game coming up at 6.55, and we can tell you how you can win yourself some tickets for Rick Mercer as he hosts Just for Laughs Comedy Night in Canada. And we are going to talk snow in a moment. Uh, But before that, Loren, at 7.50, what are we doing there? Well, we've been hearing in the news how the Prime Minister has revoked the Emergencies Act about a week after he put it in. It was in use for about a week, debated in the House of Commons, and now he says we're done with it. And we are going to ask our listeners how they feel about how that all went down, but also how do they feel about how the protests were dealt with? Does this does this make sense to you? New polling has come out this morning from Ipsos. About 57% of Canadians uh, aren't happy with how the Prime Minister dealt with it, but about the same number are also okay with how the protests ended. So it's kind of this uh, conflicting feelings that I think many of us have been having. We're going to delve into some of the data from Ipsos, hear what they have to say about how the country is thinking, feeling, and also how our feelings actually changed from the start of the protests about, oh, 25 days ago to now. Many sidewalks in Winnipeg seem to be the dumping grounds, Greg, for leftover snow from recent storms. 
That's right. Our good friend Eve, who cleans snow, uh, he and I went back and forth quite a bit yesterday. Just he just shakes his head about the way Winnipeg approaches the sidewalk clearing. And as Abigail's Abigail Turner of Global News reports, residents in St. James say it's a growing concern for kids in their area. It's a common theme in many Winnipeg neighborhoods. No sidewalk plowing. Rather, pushing piles of snow onto them instead. It's just awful. It's horrible. Longtime St. James resident Rod Peters says the lack of snow clearing is unprecedented. I've been here 20 years. I've never seen it this bad. The impassable sidewalks is dangerous for kids, he says. Kids have to walk on the road to get to school. And it scares me. Because somebody's going to get hurt. According to the city's website, residential sidewalks in Winnipeg are at a 0% completion as of Wednesday afternoon. Crews get out and they clear the, the P1 and 2 streets and then they, you know, get, get close to uh, clearing P3 sidewalks, but then the snow comes again and they're right back to P1s and 2s. Councillor Gillingham says he's received several calls from concerned families. I have had reports from residents of, of uh, kids needing to use the streets, you know, around a couple of schools because the sidewalks are not cleared. And that's a real safety issue. The St. James Assiniboia School Division said in a statement, quote, in extreme weather conditions, parents and caregivers are advised to take every precaution to ensure students arrive at school safely. Maybe I'll have snow forever. Councillor Gillingham is asking residents to keep their eyes out for kids, especially around schools, to slow down and be patient while crews work to clean up sidewalks. Abigail Turner, Global News. That might seem like small potatoes on a day like today when things are happening as they're happening around the world, but this is what's going on in our community right now. And uh, I have just... You know, I have no sidewalks on my street. Well, that's actually not true. Half of my bay has a sidewalk. Half of half of it doesn't. Most of the residents clear the public sidewalk when they're clearing their own driveways and such. But Sun Valley Drive in particular, which is a P2 street, hasn't been touched in for I don't know how long with regard to the sidewalks. And there is a school on Sun Valley Drive. And so... That's a busy road, and uh, geez, the kids have no choice but to sort of trudge their way through the snow because walking on that street, not a good idea at all. The challenge too, Brad, I don't know if you've been out in your car lately. I know you walk so much, so you probably have lots of different perspectives on snow clearing on sidewalks, but when you're out in the car too with these mounds, I had it two or three times yesterday where I was pulling out, and you can't see on either side of you what's coming, either Mm -hmm. a pedestrian or a person in the car. And so I, I get it. We're in a situation, we haven't seen snow like this in my lifetime, You're none of our lifetimes. And so therefore, it's going to be hard to clear up. But it, it's, um, it makes for some dicey moments when you're pulling out and you do- genuinely have to go right into traffic to see if there's traffic, which is kind of scary. It is scary. And you're, you're like, I, I actually, how long has it been since I even drove my car? I think it's been a couple of weeks. But uh, even then, uh, I was when I went to see my dad and just and had to get back out onto Regent. I felt like I was basically playing Russian roulette. It's like, well, I can't see anything. I got to stick. I got to kind of eke my way out here, and uh, that's scary, you know. And it's because I drive a compact sedan, so it's not exactly a monstrous vehicle where I can see over things. And it's in moments like that where I wonder, should I be in an SUV or a truck or something like that? Uh, and as far as 
Walking goes this this winter has been more often, I would say more often than not, the, the sidewalks are have been difficult. Uh, I think they've done a, they've, you know, the, downtown in particular in recent weeks, I think they've done a pretty good job. Uh, but there's just been so much snow, it's tough to keep up. And seeing the, the footage that uh, Abigail had in her uh, story, Greg, the, the massive piles. On one hand, I think for kids that could be kind of fun to crawl around that snow. But if you've got uh, mobility issues or anything like that, how are you supposed to get around? Yeah, that's creating genuine problems for, for many people. And yeah, the snow banks... Uh, my mom always told me to stay off the snow banks and how dangerous they were. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a little hesitant uh, when I see kids playing up, especially up on the roads. But yes, they are very inviting. I don't know what it's like on uh, anybody else's street, but there are variations in elevation that I imagine are showing up on uh, certain radar and certain uh, types of topographical uh, mapping right now because. Like there are ridges that have to be 18 to 24 inches higher than where the concrete is in some parts on our bay. It is absolutely unreal. And one of our listeners says, surprise, surprise, we haven't had snow like this in 60 years. No wonder that person in that report hadn't seen snow like that in the last 20 years. I guess that sort of adds up. We've got to measure this stuff from time to time. But here we are. want to continue the conversation on snow clearance specifically adventures and misadventures in snow clearance and uh well jeff braun why don't we start with you because i saw you post a picture yesterday (laughs) you were hiding behind a snowbank that was taller than you yeah that's right in front of my window so uh my view is uh, diminished incredibly this winter i've just been looking at a sea of white i should actually get a film projector and watch movies on it but uh Uh, but I live in a condo, so I don't have to shovel snow, and I haven't really had to shovel snow for 25 years. But when I lived with my parents when I was a teenager, uh, there was a big snowfall. My dad and I were out shoveling the driveway, and we had these neighbors. Uh, I won't name them because, well, we just didn't name get along them. with them. They're, no, I will not name them. Um, name and shame. And their kids were kind of, we found them annoying, but they, they were also nice sometimes. And they came over to help us shovel, these two boys. And so we're all four of us shoveling for a while. And then my dad says, oh, I got to go inside and check something. And he goes in. And about 10 minutes later, he still doesn't come out. So I said, oh, I'm going to go see what he's doing. And I went in. And he's laying on the couch having a beer. And I said, what are you doing? And he says, let them do it. We'll go out when they're almost done and help them finish at the end. And I was like, all right, Dad. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Way to go, Dad. That's a great plan. Uh, Poitras. Uh, I got back from uh, Europe, a backpacking trip, like best best month of my life. And uh, anyway, so my dad, uh, there was a big snowfall like right when I got back. And I, I got back actually uh, probably around this time of the year. And there was a huge dump of snow. And my, my dad, we were we, we lived at the time on Bonner uh, Avenue in, in North Kildonan. And the driveway, I mean, there's no sidewalks or anything like that. The driveways are long. It's probably about a 40 or 50 meter driveway. And uh, I couldn't get the snowblower to work. It was probably the angriest I've ever been in my life trying to get that thing started. I was swearing and <laughs> smashing stuff. It was the, I, I think it was the angriest I've ever been. And so I had to quit. I couldn't get the snowblower started. So I'm like, well, I have to do this by hand. So it took me all day. It was just me by myself. It was an all-day thing. And the snow was high, huge piles and, and stuff like that. So like whenever – and, and 
snow, obviously cleaning snow has been tough this year and shoveling, but I, I just kind of like think back to that and I'm like, yeah, no, I, I don't know if that'll ever be topped. I wish that I was could horrible. see that Cam just cursing and swearing and kicking a snowblower. That would be a magnificent <laughs> sight. It was like when you're in the, I was in the shed trying to get it started. It was like when that, that spot where you just like start screaming, like just like at the top of your lungs because you just don't know what else to do. You're that angry. So you just start going like, ah! like it was like that. Uh, producer Jeff. Uh, well, I've told this story before about so what was it in October of 2019. We had that uh, big snowstorm and uh, I live in a balcony, live in an apartment and on my balcony, <laughs> I've shoveled. Uh, the snow off, and I put it into buckets, and I put it into my bathtub, which was just a terrible idea because my bathtub was just completely filthy after. So now I uh, I throw the snow off the balcony. I make sure there's no one down below because I live on the eighth floor. And uh, but when I do, I, I I make a little noise, like as if like, oops, like how did that happen? <laughs> oh, sorry about oh, that. No. <laughs> and that's how I clear my snow. Atta boy, Loren. Well, about 18 snowfalls ago, so this would put us to Tuesday. Um, we, we, there's been so much snow. We live like in the driveway that's like the vortex for just things just get sucked in, but everybody's been dealing with it. And so a few weeks ago, my, my adventure was just giving up on the snow. And as my husband was out there shoveling for the thousandth time and the drifts were up to his knees, I thought this is ridiculous. And I got in the car, rolled down all the windows and listened for a beep 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 like where there's a loader backing up or a skid steer and drove until I found just a random guy clearing someone else's driveway and begged him to come do ours and now I've decided that's just the way forward put down the shovels and bring in the guy with a skid steer that's just it's too much it's become too much I can't see out my windows the dog is literally about an inch away from a full escape out of the backyard because the snow is now up to us eight foot fence and uh Stay tuned. We may not see him again if he gets his way. On on my driveway, you can act, um, on my street, you can actually see the levels of how people have given up. Like, oh, this guy's still he's still going strong. <laughs> this person is completely given up. They're just driving <laughs> through it, and it's just it's funny to see like the levels of where people are right now. I, I should say my husband went back out there last night, and I just said, "Why? Just leave it. Like, we'll park." <laughs> I don't know where I'm thinking we're going to park, but like, we'll do it, we'll park somewhere else. Like, this is too much. Mackling. 1986, uh, one of the biggest uh, blizzards of all time in in Winnipeg. And I had a paper route at the time, so trudging away, got my papers done. And uh, also at the same time, I made a little bit of extra cash, shoveling uh, sidewalks and, and shoveling out garages in the back lane on Golding Street. But then on the uh, Sunday, November the 9th, I just had to look it up. The, the Jets played the New Jersey Devils, and about 7,000 people still showed up in the midst of it all. The Jets won 8-1. to one, But that day, the snow-clearing equipment couldn't get to the restaurant at Fingers that I was working at near the arena, and I essentially shoveled half of the parking lot by hand oh. so our customers had a place to park i shoveled for about six seven hours straight <laughs> and then, then did you have to actually work a shift yes because oh. that was my job i i kept track of the of the vehicles coming in and making sure they were actually coming to the restaurant not just parking for free and running over to the arena it was uh it was a day to remember let's put it that way <laughs> Thank you.
It was just before dawn in Ukraine that the first missile strikes hit. They could be heard outside Kyiv and in cities east of there. Russian President Vladimir Putin defying international pressure by launching a wide-ranging attack on Ukraine in what appears to be the beginning of war in Europe. In a televised address, Putin said if there were any attempts by other countries to interfere, there would be, quote, consequences they have never seen. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is speaking with the G7 leaders this morning, and we expect to hear more from U.S. President Joe Biden in about an hour's time, Lorraine. In the meantime, Putin said in that televised address yesterday that Russia didn't have a goal to occupy Ukraine. But as Brett said, several areas throughout the country have been hit with missile strikes, with troops appearing on all three sides. And residents in that country's capital and beyond are fleeing. Olga Rusina is a journalist in Ukraine and joins us now. How are you doing, Olga? Uh, hi, we are currently in the bomb shelter because we have been told in Russians, Russians may uh, launch airstrike uh, on the uh, on the area nearby, which is a lot of state buildings is located at. So we are hiding in a bomb shelter right now. So you're in a bomb shelter right now. Where where are you? Do we yeah. have you in Kiev and, and are air si- sirens going yeah. off or how does that yeah. alert come? Yeah, but we are, um, I'm working on a radio station, which is located in the center of Kyiv. It's called Romanski Radio. So we are located on the Khrushchev Street. If uh, some of you may know that it's the main street of Kyiv. Uh, so uh, about 20 minutes ago, we have been told to uh, to go to the bomb shelter because they are afraid that uh, those airstrikes could uh, could uh, attack also also our street and our building. It's a huge building, Chris where a lot of radio stations are located at. Olga, we're seeing images. In fact, I saw it on the on the uh, Google Maps this morning. Traffic jams, people trying to feel uh, to flee Kiev and and other cities. Where where might they be going? Uh, they may be going to the west, actually, because some of them some of them are going to Lviv and to Lusk and to those cities which are closer to the western border and uh, they can be relatively safe right now uh, but also a lot of people are staying in Kiev because uh, because you know uh, all um, going through the whole country to the west side of the country also can be dangerous you know because uh, even if even if you have your own car you can uh, you may have some injuries on the road so uh, some of, some of Some other people uh, decided to stay here and just wait. Olga, it's Brett here. What has been the response from Ukraine to the missile strikes from Russia? Ukraine soldiers are fighting right now. Um, As far as I know, they're fighting mostly uh, uh, on the uh, east uh, side of the Ukraine. Uh, I mean, Donbass, also near Crimea, because Russians attacking from from Crimea and also uh, from the side of Belarus because Russia, Russian and Belarusian soldiers are also attacking from uh, from the side. So uh, here in Kyiv we are relatively relatively safe because uh, so far uh, there are no fights in in the city, uh, but uh, information is uh, you know just like updating updating all the time and we are. Student work and just checking what is going on right now. Right now, the most um, the most uh, you know 
uh, massive fights are on the Belarusian side, uh, Donbass and Krim. Most massive fights you were just saying are on the Russian side of Ukraine. We're speaking to Ogle yeah. Rosina, who's a I mean, journalist. I mean, Belarusian it, from the from the north. Belarusian from, from the, the north. north because, okay. Yeah, yeah. So. So I know that earlier today, too, and I just wanted to verify this, there was a call from your, your president to, you know, for your citizens to basically pick up the arms, maybe go to gun shops to, to, to fight back. What are you hearing from residents about this idea of uh, not just soldiers fighting back, but citizens? Is that actually happening, Olga? Yes. Uh, beside, beside the army, we have uh, something that's called um, like territory of, uh, I don't know how to say it, just People who don't go to the armed forces but stay in their cities uh, and train in, in their cities to uh, to be a fight if 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 it's needed to. Uh, it's like it's uh, like another uh, another side of the army, uh, I would say. And uh, now, yes, President uh, uh, calls out that uh, everybody who who know. <laughs> Who know how how to uh, how to shoot and how to uh, fight? That everybody uh, joins those forces. Olga. So we we're hoping it will be okay. Yeah, of course, and and our thoughts uh, are with you, of course, and and, and everyone Thank in you. Ukraine this morning. Uh, this is this is difficult to hear. We appreciate you sharing this with us, but you know, from the outside, for weeks and weeks, we've been anticipating. Uh, this action by Russia. What has the sense been inside Ukraine? Did you, did you imagine that this it would come to this, or did did you feel that a peaceful resolution was possible? Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to imagine because for several days, like from like like a week ago, a massive attack uh, on the on Donbass uh, have started. So. Um, but in Kyiv and uh, and rest of the country was quiet and still. And uh, at the beginning, we thought it will be only in Donbass, and uh, and the Western governments uh, will react somehow and impose those sanctions we have been told of for so long. Uh, so now we are really hoping, uh, you know, on sanctions and maybe on uh, to to. Uh, you know this uh, this sanctions who uh, regarding swift uh, swift bank system for Russia and so on. So we hope we hope it uh, we hope it will help somehow. But uh, today, you know, today I woke up because of airstrikes and uh, I couldn't imagine it. It will start that way. To be to be honest. Olga Rusina is a journalist in Ukraine joining us live on CJOB from a bomb shelter. Thank you very much, Olga, for taking a few minutes to speak with us, and please be safe. Thank you. Small town salute. This morning, Loren, we are going to explore Manitoba from a bit of a different perspective. Yeah, and we're going to kind of travel all over the place here because about a week ago, the Indigenous Tourism Association of Canada announced a new chief executive officer for the Manitoba branch, for the Manitoba Indigenous Tourism Association. And so we want to learn more about 
indigenous tourism, the role it plays in our economy, and maybe even get some ideas, attractions, and locations, Greg, that uh, would get us moving out of Winnipeg and exploring different parts of Manitoba. Well, let's say good morning to Kyle Mason. Kyle is an Indigenous leader, change agent, and speaker with extensive experience building nonprofits from the ground up over the years. Kyle has become a good friend of CJOB. Welcome back, Kyle. Well, good morning, and thanks for having me back. Uh, our pleasure always. Congratulations on this new position. Tell us about some of the goals of the Manitoba Indigenous Tourism Association. Some of us may have never heard of it before. Yeah. So first off, I, I like to mention you can find us on the, the major social media channels uh, through uh, Indigenous Tourism Manitoba. And uh, yeah, we are a new uh, organization uh, that has been recently uh, created. Uh, it's a partnership um, out of Travel Manitoba, the Indigenous Tourism Association of Canada. And uh, we are all really excited to get going. Uh, people have been thinking about this, working on this for a couple of years, but uh, everybody now feels this is the time to start really get going to the next level so we can uh, you know, support Indigenous tourism business owners and encourage people to come and have authentic Indigenous experiences and and just uh, you know, build our economy, uh, help people become local job owners and uh, you know, just have people connect with our stories, our cultures, our ceremonies uh, and only the ways that Indigenous peoples can offer here in Manitoba. Well, I love this slogan that's attached to Indigenous Tourism Manitoba, Adventure to Understanding. Can you expand on that idea for us? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, understanding comes with connections and connections comes with, you know, people um, going out of their, maybe out of some of uh, the norms that they would normally do and finding a way. You know, our research shows that people want to, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're truly passionate about reconciliation. They're uh, They're passionate about, wanting to make connections uh, good healthy connections with indigenous communities uh, so this idea is that you can you can you can have these connections you can build your understanding but you can also do it when you're out there having kind of some of your off time and you're looking for new adventures to explore yeah, I think this, you know, the way we do vacations is always changing, right? And the way we explore is always changing, Kyle. And sometimes you're looking for a, an escape. Sometimes you're looking for exercise. Sometimes you're looking for see, to see something new. But I think more often we're looking to learn something, Kyle. And I'm curious, where would you take us? Can you give us some suggestions of places that we could maybe go to do that? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's a growing number of indigenous uh, tourism-related uh, operators in the province. Um, so yeah, I was, I was trying to think of, of a couple of places that uh, here in the city and beyond that you could people could check out. So I, I know for all the foodies out there, everybody likes a good meal. Uh, I would encourage people to check out the Feast uh, um, Bistro on on Ellis Avenue. There, uh, they are world class. Their chef has been featured on media around the world. Uh, I've been there personally. It's it's delicious. I I've always enjoyed a meal there. So if you're looking for authentic Indigenous cuisine, that is the place to go. Um, also, I know the, the Manitowabi um, Festival has recently announced that uh, they're, they're getting back uh, to some in-person events. Uh, there's going to be a powwow um, and other all kinds of activities in May, May 18th to 23rd. So they're going to be in-person events. There's also going to be virtual events. And of course, uh, you can't think about uh, Manitoba and t- uh, tourism in general, but particularly in indigenous tourism, without heading up to Churchill. So, you know, the good people at Wasa. Wapsack Adventures up in Churchill. Um, you know, I know they're already booked until mid-March, and um, they're, they're, it's only going to get busier and busier up there for them. Plus, you know, if you were looking to kind of 
get back and relax. There's Buffalo Point Resort as well, and uh, there's all kinds of places people can go. And if you wanted to get outside and get some exercise, um, there's also all kinds of things out there. You know, you can also head out to um, uh, you can head out to the Broken Head uh, Wetland Interpretive uh, Trail. It's about 45 minutes north of Winnipeg on Highway 59. It is one of the best um, marked trails you could find. It's been done um, with with elders and knowledge keepers to preserve the wetland, to have minimal impact. But you can get guided tours, learn about the local indigenous plants and wildlife, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so there are over 65 uh, businesses that we already are interacting with, and that list is only going to be growing. And there's places all around the province that uh, people are going to be able to connect and experience and Enjoy themselves, relax, learn more, uh, connect with Indigenous peoples. And there's so many win things uh, to happen that I'm really excited for this. Well, we look forward to talking to you more about this and, and generating and creating a relationship on another project here, Kyle. Thanks for this, and uh, we appreciate you very much. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, lastly, I'd just like to mention, we have a brand new Upstart website. The website is coming, and within the next couple of weeks, we're going to have all these uh, places and more listed on our website. So if people are looking for an indigenous experience, they can come to our website and find a place to connect there as well. And what's that site? It's indigenoustourismmanitoba.ca. And I'll be putting up these uh, businesses that I mentioned here on our, uh, our social media under Indigenous Tourism Manitoba. All right. Well, Kyle, thank you very much for joining us. This is great. Well, thank you very much. Kyle Mason, CEO, Manitoba Indigenous Tourism Association. Uh, he mentioned Buffalo Point, and I can tell you that they have a wonderful golf course there, the Lake of the Sand Hills. It's, uh, it's a pretty cool course, and that, that's a neat spot, too, in Manitoba because you, you hang a left to get into uh, Buffalo Point, and you can see the border like 200 yards down the road. So it's a nice part of the province. We were very clear that the use of the Emergencies Act would be limited in time. When we invoked it, it would be in place for up to 30 days. But we said that we would lift it as soon as possible. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, that, of course, was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau explaining that the Emergencies Act is no longer needed. It was invoked last week in response to anti-mandate protests. So now we have new polling that's revealing Canadians actually have really mixed feelings on just how the protests were dealt with and, of course, who they blame. These numbers come from Ipsos. This poll was done exclusively for Global News, and it found 57% of Canadians said they were not happy with how the Prime Minister responded, but... Nearly the same amount, close to 60% or 6 in 10, also agreed that in the long run, they were dealt with in the best possible way. Sean Simpson is with Ipsos and joins us now. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. I think the, the results of your poll, in some respects, are as confused as maybe people actually felt through all this with their <laughs> changing emotions. So walk us through some of the numbers. What are Canadians actually saying in terms of their thoughts on the protest and the response? 
yeah, well, it's, 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 it is confusing because it, it, there's, there's so much going on. There's a lot of blame to go around. Uh, a majority of Canadians blame the prime minister for some of this because uh, he, they think he, he decided to make the, uh, the pandemic a political issue, and, and which, which sowed divisions. But at the end of the day, uh, the, the clear fault line is on the legitimacy of the protesters themselves. Forty-six percent of Canadians uh, say that uh, the, 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 the protests were legitimate. They had legitimate grievances and and they deserve our sympathy 54 percent of canadians adopt the opposite stance saying you know no nope this is a law and order situation they were not legitimate they needed to go home and not occupy ottawa for three weeks sean i referenced earlier that this might create the data here might create an interesting venn diagram it reminds me of you know when we <laughs> ask people about their habits and their driving and cell phones 30 percent will admit to to doing it themselves but 60 percent see other people doing it and so the numbers are, are sort of conflicted this polling was conducted when the protest in Ottawa was still in the early days and the polling was done as police moved in on protesters after nearly three weeks. How did Canadians' views of the protesters change over that amount of time? Well, it didn't really change. That 46% number that I referenced uh, was unchanged. So uh, Canadians' opinions were sort of baked in. This was despite what we saw happening in Alberta with blockades, in Windsor, uh, in, in Ottawa. And uh, uh, Canadians could sort of made up their mind on the whole situation. And the fact that a majority say that, you know, the way that it ended, they're satisfied with it. That's, you know, that's actually on both sides, right? It, it ended relatively peacefully. There wasn't a big riot. Yes, people got arrested. Yes, trucks got towed. But at the end of the day, most of the truckers left uh, on their own accord. And and most of the force used by the government seemed, as the prime minister said, you know, proportionate and, and temporary. So I think Canadians are just breathing a sigh of relief. But none of our leaders is really coming out of this smelling like roses. It's a sort of a pox on all your houses uh, is, is the sort of prevailing attitude here. Do you think the convoy protests have changed how Canadians view the effectiveness of protest? Yes, certainly. Um, so we know from the polling here that 54% of Canadians uh, say that the, the protests were at least partially responsible or influencing uh, the easing of restrictions that we are seeing in many of the provinces across the country. Uh, 41% of Canadians say that protests like these that were just organized are a legitimate way to get government to change new policies. And a quarter uh, of Canadians, rising to a third of young people, say that now that they've seen, you know, what this kind of protest can do, they're tempted to participate in a similar protest to change government policy. It might not be about vaccinations. It might be about climate change. It might be about economic frustration. But, you know, a third of young people are saying, OK, I, I've seen that, that, that in my uh, estimation, this has worked. And so if we can have an impact on government policy in this area, why can't we have an impact on government policy in other areas? Yeah, it could change the way things are done going forward, Sean. In our own province, we're lifting the vaccine passport requirement as of Tuesday. That announcement was made in the early days of the protests. And of course, our premier insisted it had nothing to do with protesters, that we were always going to ease restrictions, which, yes, health officials have said for weeks that they were going to do. But people might be thinking, OK, if I do want to affect change, maybe this is, is the way to go. And you talked about the younger group. The, 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 there's a generational difference here when it comes to how we feel about these things. 
Yeah, that that's right. And and I think there might be a feeling that even though these these uh, loosening restrictions were coming, the protests may have expedited that timeline. Uh, and and you're right, there's a generational divide here, but there's another divide, and that is basically on a socioeconomic status. The the younger you are, um, the lower your income, sort of the more likely uh, you are to believe that the, the protests were legitimate. Because for you, it wasn't about the pandemic anymore. It's about the feeling that you're being left behind. And indeed, 48% of Canadians say that if Canadians weren't suffering as much economic hardship as they are, the trucker protests would have never happened in the first place. So uh, we're not even arguing about the same things, right? For younger people, it's a little bit about the vaccinations, but it, it, it's, it's about the feeling they're being left behind. For older people, it is about vaccinations uh, and restrictions and about law and order because they, they can't tolerate uh, you know, seeing borders closed and, and uh, you know, Wellington Street in Ottawa jammed up with trucks. Sean Simpson with Ipsos joining us live on CJOB. Sean, thank you very much. been my pleasure. And we'll have more on this at globalnews.ca and at cjob.com where you can answer our question of the day from Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, much more through the day on what is happening in Ukraine. Who are we talking to, Loren, at 8.35? At 8.35, we're going to visit with uh, the Canadian-Ukrainian Congress. He's the executive director. He has ties to Ukraine. He's also watching how things are unfolding over there with uh, things escalating very quickly over the last 24 hours. You know, I'm watching as we speak... uh, Ukrainians inside a subway seeking shelter in a subway. At 7.07, we spoke to a reporter who was in Kyiv who had run down to the bomb shelter because uh, the air raid sirens had gone off again. So lots of different moving parts. It's an extremely fluid and deeply concerning situation. We'll check in with Ukrainian Canadians to see how they're feeling about what's happening overseas. Right now, we want to talk about one of our favorite things, potato chips. One of Canada's biggest food manufacturers has halted shipments to the country's largest grocer and an extreme example of how inflation is impacting the food industry and driving a wedge between some retailers and suppliers. That issue here, Brad, is a dispute over pricing between Frito-Lay Canada and Loblaw Companies Limited as the maker of brands like Cheetos, Doritos, Lay's, Ruffles and Sun Chips tries to recoup higher costs. The situation has left the chip and snack food aisle of many Loblaw stores less than full. And it's also now being stocked with more of the retailer's house brands, such as President's Choice or No Name. Snack maker Frito-Lay confirmed there is, quote, a temporary disruption with one customer. And a Loblaw spokesperson says the grocer is, quote, laser focused, end quote, on minimizing Retail pricing increases. Yeah, it comes down to what are the costs to the manufacturers, the people making products, and how are those costs maybe being passed down onto the stores and then, of course, onto the customer, which is what this is all about. And so Frito-Lay insists increases in their costs are coming everywhere. Packaging, ingredients, transportation, gas prices, everything is at the heart of the price adjustments. And so they want to pass that cost on down to the store. The store is saying no, but sometimes you get caught in the middle. Munther Zeed is with Food Fair and joins us this morning. How are you doing, Munther? Uh, very well. Good morning. How are we? I'm I'm well. And, you know, we've all been talking over the past few months about what we've noticed in the store when it comes to increased costs for food prices. What are you seeing when you're bringing supplies, when you're bringing goods in to put on your shelves? Where are you noticing a change? Well, prices are going up 
everywhere. I mean, uh, we sort of, for my, for my size stores, we really have no choice. We we can't say no to them. We try to argue about it uh, to minimize the increase, but uh, an increase is an increase. And some of these manufacturers uh, didn't in the last 24 months with COVID didn't pass any increases on in the last two years. So it looks like a one big increase because nothing was passed on over the last 18, 24 months. So um, for them to say no to the biggest guy in the country, you got to kind of wonder, um, is it really increases? Is there more going on? Uh, I guess we'll see in the next few days what happens. Munther, it's Greg here. Thanks for doing this. What what can you do if your suppliers increase their price to you other than pass it on? Do you, do you eat it in some cases? Uh, depending on what it is and how much it is, we sometimes eat it. If it's a few pennies, uh, we just leave it. But uh, when you get increases of 5 to 10 15% in one shot, uh, you're forced to pass it on. And sometimes the uh, manufacturer wants us to take less of a margin at the store uh, to keep their prices looking good. And sometimes that's doable, sometimes it's not. It, it depends on the item, the category, and what you're able to do. So, I mean, again, uh, Superstore or Loblaws is the biggest in the country. They they basically are one-third of the grocery business. So every dollar spent, one-third of it is them, for them. So for uh, Loblaws, I mean, Frito-Lay to say no to Loblaws, here's the increase, take it or leave it. And uh, Loblo says, no, we're not taking it. Kind of wonder. I mean, they're bigger. They have more people. They know the numbers better than me. Uh, who knows what really is going on? I think there's a little bit more going on than what's being said. But, uh, I mean, we'll know more in a few days, hopefully. Munther, what kind of feedback have you been getting from customers when it comes to increased prices on certain things? Well, they're, they're basically some people have cut back a little bit. Um, some people are saying an increase is an increase. Uh, overall, their bill, they're watching where they're buying. They're buying more stuff that's on special. So when uh, things are on special, they're stocking up a little bit more. Nobody likes an increase, but uh, it seems like the 5% inflation is sort of a joke. Uh, it's more like 10 to 15% increase right across the board on everything. Milk's up, bread's up, and it's not up by 5%. It's up a lot more. Munther, I'm just curious, you know, when the costs go up, we talk about it being temporary, but do they ever really come back down? Like once the manufacturer or the supplier passes on a cost to you, do you ever see that fall post-inflation hikes? I mean, how does that work for you? Uh, well, the only time we really see it fall is in the fresh categories, meat and produce. They go up, they go down. That's the only market that I could truly say truly goes up and down. When it goes down, it goes down. When it goes up, it goes up. Uh, general groceries, usually when they go up, it stays up. It's rare that it comes down as a regular price. They will pass on deals or deal a little bit more of a deal or pass on deals more frequently to the stores to have a lower price in their flyer or, or as an in-store special. But uh, it, usually once it's up, it's up. I mean, unless things dramatically change in the market, it's rare. Munther. Thanks for bringing us inside the situation a little bit, Munther. We appreciate you. No problem, sir. Thank you very much for having me.
that's an, an air raid, yeah, an, air, an air, raid. air raid siren. Several of them going off here in the center of the Ukrainian capital. Now, whether that's them just testing it, I don't think so, though, given the situation we currently find ourselves in, or whether Ukrainian radar has picked up approaching aircraft or missile attack inside the center of the city, I don't know. But this adds another ominous, alarming feature to what has been an ominous and alarming day so far. That was CNN's Matthew Chance reporting from Kiev about an hour ago with missile strikes being reported in several different cities in Ukraine throughout the day. Yeah, and of course, all of us, so many of us are wondering, where is this all going to go? In that televised address by Russian President Vladimir Putin, he said the West needs to essentially stay out of this. That If they interfere, there would, quote, be consequences they have never seen. And so we're wondering this morning, how will Ukraine respond? How will the world respond? And how are we all feeling about this? Of course, Manitoba is home to more than 160,000 people of Ukrainian descent. There are more than 1.4 million Ukrainian Canadians in this country. Ihor Michael Chisson is the executive director of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress and joins us now. Uh, Ihor, first of all, it's a simple question, but how are you feeling this morning watching this all unfold? Uh, it's a it's a very difficult morning. It's been a very sleepless night, and uh, it's shocking. It's shocking to see uh, Russian missiles are falling on uh, European cities. Ihor, I've got uh, CNN on in my home studio right now, and I just watched an interview with a young woman and her two children. They are in uh, Kharkiv uh, in Ukraine. And they are down in the subway system. It's a city of just over 1.4 million people. And she was asked by the CNN journalist if she ever imagined that this would happen. And her eyes got big. And she, she in fact, chuckled sort of as she was answering the question. She said, no, I never imagined that, 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 that Russia, that Vladimir Putin would do this to Ukraine. Is, is that a common sentiment, do you believe? In a way, I think it's been very difficult to imagine, but I, I have to also say that in a way, uh, I mean, certainly uh, Ukrainians and our community here have been have been warning about this scenario for, you know, days, weeks and months. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, in the West thought that, that Putin could be engaged in some kind of diplomatic de-escalation, and uh, it's not... That's not the game he's playing. He has launched a full-scale invasion of one of Europe's largest democracies, uh, and and Canada and its allies need to react tough and strong today, uh, because uh, literally Ukrainian people are are laying their lives on the line for democracy today. And in terms of uh, assistance from NATO and the West, do you do you think that's going to happen at least in the in the way that is needed? Well, there's, there's never been an expectation or an ask from Ukraine that, that combat troops from Canada or the U.S. or NATO would be in Ukraine. The ask has always been to uh, punish the Russian economy and Putin and his inner circle. And that's what we're asking Canada to do immediately. Uh, you know, there, there's a meeting of G7 leaders today. We need the toughest, biggest, harshest stra- sanctions on Russia to cripple its economy so that they can't pay for these uh, these assaults and invasions. Uh, and, and we need to, as Canadians, send more defensive weapons to Ukraine to help them defend themselves. That's been our message for weeks. Uh, and 
And I think that it's, you know, it proves that our, our message has turned into the nightmare scenario today. Uh, Canada needs to, you know, we stand with Ukraine, but we need to take actions to, to support that standing with Ukraine. You use the phrase just now, nightmare scenario. And I think, you know, for someone just sitting here right now, listening to those sirens, watching the coverage scene, we spoke to someone at seven who was in a bomb shelter doing the interview with us, Ihor, and she's a complete stranger to me and my heart was still sinking. I can't imagine how it feels to have loved ones back in Ukraine right now. Who are you thinking of this morning when it comes to your connections, the people you've met, family members or other? Of course, my family members, I, I, as far as I know, they're safe right now. I'm thinking of all the uh, young men and women who are in the Ukrainian armed forces who are fighting uh, back uh, the invasion. Uh, Belarus is invading and, and from the north. Uh, Russia is invading from Crimea and from the east. Uh, and Ukraine's armed forces with Canadian training over the past number of years are you know, better trained, better equipped. But it is going to be a very devastating day and, uh, you know, as Canadians, uh, this is not just a Ukrainian-Canadian community issue. This is a Canadian security issue. We're members of NATO, and we need to demand a no-fly zone. Uh, there should not be Russian uh, bombers and Russian missiles flying over Ukraine by the end of the day. Canada and, and our allies need to take that stand and, frankly, uh, you know, intervene as strongly as possible. Eeyore, Michael Chishin, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate the time, sir. Thank you. Your Mikulchishin is the executive director of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress. Ukraine reporting more than 40 soldiers have been killed and dozens wounded so far. Russia's defense ministry says its military has destroyed 74 Ukrainian military facilities, including 11 air bases. I want to, you know, often in situations like this, we hear military use phrases all the time. No matter what side or country they're from, they call them targeted strikes, right? And Putin said, oh, we're only targeting certain bases or uh, different military infrastructure. Personally, as someone who's seen what a targeted strike looks like in different countries, it, it yeah, sure, it's targeted on what they're trying to get, get and decimate. But the effect of a bomb being dropped on a single building does not just hit that single building. And so depending on where these are landing and what this looks like, the ramifications are huge. And so, sure, you can say it's army versus army, but it never is. We all know that there are civilians right now who will be, if not loss of home, if not loss of life, there'll be a loss of something. A targeted strike looks way worse than anything you can possibly imagine. And so when you sit here listening to somebody who has loved ones back in that situation, I can't imagine the fear they're feeling right now. Yeah, the collateral damage is is immeasurable at times, Loren, and and over the next, you know, I over the next several hours or the next several days here, it's unimaginable that this is is just going to suddenly stop. But uh, I would like to get some more insight from you about what people in these situations, what civilians in these situations are feeling. And we've got a text message here from somebody here in Winnipeg. And this text message says Canada must push other nations to send troops to defend Ukraine. My son, who was born in Ukraine and is in the Canadian Army, says he would be proud to go and defend his homeland. There are going to be lots of debates on, on, on that side of it as well. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb. We've been asking you this morning at 204-780-6868 to text us about snow-clearing adventures and misadventures. We haven't had a whole lot of time to focus on it, of course, because what's happening in Ukraine, but we are 
giving away tickets for Rick Mercer hosting Just for Laughs Comedy Night in Canada, Burton Cummings Theatre, Friday, May 13th. Henry, one of our runners-up, this is nuts. Henry says, I was asked to be an extra in an Italian gum commercial. It only paid 100 bucks, but I thought it might be a fun experience, so I accepted. The setting was about an hour east of Whitefish, Montana, at the base of the mountains. 100 kilometers an hour winds are the norm there, so if you think we have a lot of snow, well, you can double that there. Got there in the morning. The house picked for the shooting had blown in overnight. They made the extras clear a path to the door that was completely covered and the four feet of snow on the deck where the shoot was to take place. The highly paid actors and actresses went inside and drank hot chocolate while we labored outside. I regretted my decision big time. This experience was not worth $100. I should say so. What kind of gum? Italian gum? Apparently, yeah. So... I've got so many questions for Henry. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. What did Dan have to say, Greg? Another runner-up? Yeah, for many years growing up in Winnipeg, I would dread shoveling. We didn't uh, own a snowblower, and we had a large driveway. I would go out with my dad, and we would start the process of clearing said driveway. Many times we would be saved from our back-breaking work by our neighbor and his snowblower. To me, the sound of that snowblower coming down the sidewalk was... Better than angels singing to this day. Mr. Gazelle still comes over and clears my parents' driveway every time it snows and every time I'm at my parents and there is snow on the ground. I return the favor, including last Sunday. Thanks, Dad. Good, good deal. Okay, but Corey is our winner. Corey says, I live in the suburbs of Winnipeg and just had our street plow yesterday. As I was one of hundreds of people who slipped and fell and fractured my wrist a few weeks ago, I have been spending much of my time at home watching the snow accumulate as my husband shovels netly looking for more yard space for which to throw the snow. A front yard as well as our surrounding neighbors all look like we have fortresses of snow protecting our home. My elderly, petite, all of 90-pound neighbor across the road and I shoot emails back and forth to keep in touch. She jokingly said she has a couple of pairs of downhill skis in her basement that she should pull out and we can strap on and swoosh down these mountainous heaps of snow that grace our driveways. I said I'm all in, but then we'd have to install a chairlift in order to reach the summits of these black diamond slopes. She in turn said she will provide the apres ski refreshments. I thank my lucky stars for a wonderful neighbor. And yeah. The only point of the ski is the apres ski. So. <laughs> I mean, not the only point, but it's on a cold day, and you're like, I got five more hours on this lift ticket, but I could go for an apres ski right now. Corey. Jake. Go ahead, Brett. I was going to say, Corey, congratulations. You're the winner. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. It was just before dawn in Ukraine when the first missile strikes hit. They could be heard from Kiev and in several other cities. Yeah, meantime, Russian President Vladimir Putin defying international pressure by launching this wide-ranging attack on Ukraine in what appears to be the beginning of war in Europe. In a televised address, Putin said if there were any attempts by other countries to interfere, there would be, quote, consequences they have never seen the run. So in that address, Putin said, you know, Russia doesn't have a goal to occupy Ukraine. But as Brett said, several areas throughout Ukraine have been hit with missile strikes, not just in the eastern portion of that country. Residents in Ukraine, in the capital and beyond, are fleeing. And about an hour ago, we spoke to Ihor Michael Chisson. He's the executive director of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, and he also has family in Ukraine. And 
you could really just hear the worry and exasperation in his voice when we asked how he was feeling this morning. One moment, pardon me. Uh, it's a it's a very difficult morning. It's been a very sleepless night, and uh, it's shocking. It's shocking to see uh, Russian missiles are falling on uh, European cities. So the question I think so many of us might be asking this morning is, what happens next? Where does this go from here? David Perry is the president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and joins us now. Good morning, David. Good morning to you. That interview we did about an hour ago with Ihor, he said more needs to be done, including further sanctions. Is this the next natural step? What sh- what comes next? So I certainly think uh, ratcheting up the sanctions uh, is going to be part of it. Uh, a, a wider, you know, kind of continued diplomatic push to try and find, you know, uh, hopefully keep some at least pilot light on in terms of the prospects of a, a diplomatic uh, de-escalation. Um, although at this point, I think it, it seems rather unlikely. Um, reinforcing what uh, we've been doing militarily uh, with uh, NATO countries that are uh, literally right on the doorstep uh, of all this. And I think the other piece that um, hopefully there's some t- thought being given to in, in uh, Ottawa at the moment is uh, contributing to what could well turn into the, one of the largest humanitarian crisis uh, in Europe itself that we've seen in quite some time. You know, seeing lots of people um, on the video footage today uh, for all understandable reasons, uh, desperately trying to get out of Ukraine right now. David, uh, Kiev is uh, the seventh largest city in Europe. Ukraine is a very densely populated country. Uh, the, the the toll on the civilian population here could be incalculable. Just talk about the possibility of military support from from the Western allies. Is that is that even a possibility? I think from what we've seen um, to this point in time, no, and, and unfortunately it isn't. Um, the American president ruled out that option several weeks ago now, uh, and you know the blunt reality is if the United States isn't willing to put troops in, uh, that limits the options for uh, the rest of the the NATO alliance because um, we don't really have the uh, we don't have the type of assets to to be able to go in and do something without um, the American military um, leading it in, in many different respects. So that's not on the table, and I think we also saw yesterday the. Uh, uh, this in the in the wild speech from Putin, um, making very clear th- threat of uh, retaliation against any other um, outside actors intervening in Ukraine specifically. Any idea what what that kind of retaliation could be were it to come to fruition? Uh, I, I would take it to, as an, an implicit, uh, or I guess in, in a sense explicit threat uh, of uh, full Russian measures up to and including um, nuclear. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I was saying uh, earlier this morning, David, when watching the footage, I don't know if I felt this way in a long, long time, watching a situation unfold in another country. Of course, we might have experiences seeing uh, the Iraq invasion uh, when our own military, Canada's military went to Afghanistan. Many of us had heavy hearts about what was going on over there, but it's been a while since you've watched a major city, particularly one in Europe, have bombs drop in and around some of those major major points and so it's hard to know where this can go next and when you mention nuclear you always want to think that's the last possible option it seems like the, one of those things we talked about and, and we pretend like it's never going to happen so how seriously do we have to take someone like Putin right now with what not just what he's doing but the words he's saying is it rhetoric or is it real 
I'm not a Russian expert, um, but there seems to be a pretty tight connection between what Putin says he's going to do and then what he actually does. Um, you know, there's lots of things that have happened in terms of, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had the Russian ambassador saying, no, no, there's no real threat of invasion, which obviously that hasn't borne uh, out over time. Um, I, I do think that we need to uh, really uh, come to grips with what, kind of threat Russia poses. There's been a lot of discussion about, um, you know, whether or not, what exact kind of role Russia wants to play and how willing they're far, to, how far they're willing to push things. Um, I think we're seeing play out uh, right now that Russia is uh, both very capable. They've undergone a significant military op- uh, modernization effort in the last decade plus. Uh, and we're seeing right now, as you had mentioned, we haven't seen this kind of sophisticated, um, uh, combined, um, coordinated, widespread military effort uh, in the last several decades, unless it was one that the United States effectively was leading. You mentioned Iraq. Right. I mean, that's really the kind of the closest right. parallel. We haven't seen this from uh, somebody who's on the opposite side of the, the, the fence from us um, leading this kind of an effort. There have been little things, smaller uh, incursions into Crimea and the eastern territories in, in Ukraine, Syria a little bit, uh, but this is a different ball game, and uh, I think it, it is hopefully a wake-up call that the Russians are for real. David, you, you mentioned Iraq, and let's face it, uh, the march to Baghdad was was pretty quick for the United States uh, without much opposition, without any Western forces backing up Ukraine. How quickly could Russia take over Ukraine? I, I think we're seeing play out right now pretty quickly, at least in terms of disabling um, what seems to be the, the initial effort. And again, I mean, you can think of a parallel to Iraq and other um, American military uh, efforts. First thing you do is you use um, uh, missiles or airstrikes to take out air defense networks, uh, command and control structures, which I think is what we're sort of seeing in the, the international coverage of what's happening right there. They've, they've uh, already, by some reports, seized at least one um, or more airfields, which will, you know, having been able to take out the uh, Ukrainian air defenses, and incidentally, that was one of the big things the Ukrainians have been asking of the West, was sophisticated air defenses, not just, um, you know, some anti-aircraft guns, but, you know, things akin to like a Patriot missile battery that you would have recalled uh, maybe seeing from uh, the Gulf War. Uh that stuff all seems to be gone now. So the Russians have relative uh, freedom of movement. They've got control of the airspace. Um, from this point forward, that allows them to do a, a wide range of um, you know, d- different military operations. I, it's not quite clear what the objective is. You, you raised the point that you're talking about some pretty big cities um, mm-hmm. actually controlling those forces, having to deal with uh, Ukrainian resistance, depending on how much of that emerges. And the Ukrainians, I think, were, were relatively late to, to mobilize the reserves. But it's one thing to take that out uh, to potentially seize more limited territory. You'd want to do some of those wider activities, even if your objective is more narrow, because you want to have um, the freedom of movement and the confidence that Ukraine can't mount any kind of uh, air threat. Um, holding that territory, if the Ukrainians are going to resist, um, as you point out, is going to be a very different uh, scenario, a lot more costly, take a lot longer. Um, and as as Canada saw firsthand, um, and that can take a long time, and, and it really costs you in terms of um, um, human life uh, as well as financially. So there's the military responses we've been talking about, David. And, and for those who might just be joining us, we are speaking with David Perry, who is with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. And military responses, economic response with sanctions, you also mentioned early in this interview, David, just the humanitarian response and what Canada can do. And I'm looking at images now of 
eight lane highways in Ukraine just jammed with cars as people try to get out, try to find a safe place to go. What should the humanitarian response look like? Is that involved with the United Nations? Does that involve just UN and, and food? Like, what should we be doing? Um, so I, I, it's a little unclear exactly how that can play out at the United Nations, given uh, Russia's mm-hmm. role there, as we were sort of wit- witnessing a, uh, a thoroughly bizarre Security Council meeting yeah. broadcast on television last night, literally as the Russians were firing missiles into the country. Uh, but there's a, you know, not quite clear how many people are trying to leave um, at this point, but certainly from those shots of the, the highways, looks like thousands of people are trying to leave. And given that the Russians are conducting um uh, various airstrikes essentially enti- throughout the entire country. It's not really evident if there's a particularly safe part of Ukraine itself. So I imagine there's an awful lot of people uh, that are looking to get over the, the border into some neighboring countries. Uh, Poland would, would likely be a, a destination for a lot of people. So uh, wherever those people end up going, if it's Poland, Moldova, wherever, um, those local uh, host countries are going to need to really quickly, rapidly um, set up the kind of support to house potentially thousands or tens or hundreds of thousands of, of Ukrainians uh, fleeing the conflict in Ukraine. Going to be able to, to house them, feed them, and do all those things for um, what at this point is a, a very Ill, undefined period of time. David Perry, president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you very much for this. Good to talk to you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.